Jesus, Savior, awesome in power, glory and honor and praise. The cross and the resurrection. You overcame. Hmm. Good morning. It's Easter. Christ is risen from the dead. Easter is all about God's full provision for radical forgiveness. God's full provision for radical forgiveness. And today, rather than us this year going and kind of keying in on the vents of the cross and the resurrection, what I'd like for us to do is actually to go and to see and to feel and to grasp the reality of the resurrection. God's full provision for radical forgiveness. So what we're going to do is we're going to go a thousand years back from the time of the resurrection. And then after that, we're going to go 2,000 years ahead from the time of the resurrection this morning. It's going to be an awesome morning, continuing on. So let me pray. God, you are absolutely worth every ounce of our praise. The fact of the matter is, just on Friday, my wife and I were talking as we watched the movie, The Passion of the Christ. We just don't fully get it. But, oh God, I pray this morning that we would fully, in an increasing manner, we would more get you and what you've done and what that means to us. God, work in us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 32, Psalm 32. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we're big about the Bible around here. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, some people are coming around, you're welcome to borrow one. If you don't own a Bible, you can just keep it. Uh, but we're going to go back a thousand years, about a thousand years from the time of the cross and the resurrection. We're going back to the time of King David, King David. Now, let me set some context here for us in Psalm 32, quite an unusual passage, frankly, to go to on Easter Sunday. Uh, But let me set some context here. In Psalm 32, King David is about 50 years old. Uh, Let me put that into framework. I'm 49. David is about like my age, okay? When Psalm 32 and around that period of time is taking place. David is about 50 years old. David has now been king for about 20 years. He has lived faithfully before God for decades. It's been about 35 years since the time of David and Goliath. David has experienced blessing upon blessing from God for decades. And about a year earlier from the writing of Psalm 32 here... King David's armies are out conquering peoples and lands and expanding the kingdom. And about a year earlier from Psalm 32, David is having one of those, as I'm increasing more and more as I get older, one of those I can't sleep nights. 
And in fact, David on this I can't sleep night gets up and he walks out on the roof of the palace and while innocently gazing upon the city, he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And rather than turning in his eyes and hightailing it out of the situation like Joseph did with Potiphar's wife, uh, David's eyes and heart linger. In fact, they linger into a series of really bad life choices. He goes from unable to sleep, from the warrior of God, to adulterer, deceiver, and murderer. Months and months go by, and uh, God, out of his love for righteousness and out of his love for David, isn't going to let this go. So Nathan comes along, Nathan, a prophet comes along, he comes on the scene and he lovingly confronts, he lovingly admonishes David about his sin and lays out the series of life consequences that are going to come and rain down upon him because of a result of it. And the reigning king of God's people, the man after God's own heart is now living in guilt upon guilt. And we start in Psalm 32. Just a question, is there any hope for a person like David? Is there any hope for someone who is an adulterer, a deceiver, and a murderer? Well, let me bring that right now. Is there any hope for people like you and I? Psalm 32. Let's start verses 1 and 2. David is writing, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is a no deceit. A very interesting start. It's a year later, and David two times uses the word blessed. Blessed, blessed. On other passages of the Old Testament, the same Hebrew word is translated as happy. It has this idea of happy, happy. Whoa. That's quite a change. Like, what's going on in the last year? Has it been just the kind of thing where time has just gone along and time has taken its course and the time just heals all wounds? Or it's just gotten on and he's been able to advance past it and just kind of get over it? Has he taken a self-help class and kind of been able to move on? Is that the case? Look at the text. Look, look, transgressions, forgiven. Sin, Covered. Iniquity? None. Deceit? Nada. That's the situation for David. That's the reality of it. Now, here in these first couple verses, there's just something I have to point out here that's so awesome about how David wrote this. David uses three Hebrew words to tell of sin. Three Hebrew words, a little bit of Hebrew class here. All right? The first one, Pesha. Say it with me. Pesha. The first word for Pesha in verse 1 is transgression. It's the willful rebellion of a sacred covenant. I love this. It's the direct and deliberate rebellion by an inferior to a superior. It's the direct rebellion of an inferior to a superior. This is what he's talking about. Direct, outright, personal rebellion against God. That's sin. 
That's straight up sin. Pesha. The second word is hata. Say it with me. Hata. Pesha and hata. Hata is used in verse 1 for the word sin. Hata carries the broadest range of meaning for sin. It's the entirety of sin, the totality of sin. So David here in addressing his sin reality is happy. Happy is the one whose direct, outright rebellion against God is forgiven. Happy is the one whose hata, whose entirety, total entirety of sin is gone and covered. The third word, awan, awan. All right, all three together. You go, pesha, awan. It's the idea of ethically crooked conscience. An ethically crooked conscience. Now, I love this because here in this statement, what David is saying is uh, he's emphasizing the reality of the breadth of his own sin. David, in essence, is saying, I am a radical sinner. And he makes sure in the way that he words it, that he doesn't just say one form of it. He gives it all. I am someone who is directly and deliberately rebellious to God. I am Pesha. He is saying, I am totally lost, totally blind, totally guiltful, totally sinful. I am Hata. And by the way, speaking of my conscience, I am totally crooked. Awan. <laughs> You're being a little bit uh, hard here, aren't you? Or David, you're being a little bit hard on yourself here, aren't you? I mean, it's Easter. Come on, dude. It's not that bad. Uh, let me just say this. A little view of sin needs a little God. A little view of sin needs only a little God. Have you ever wondered why for people at times it's just like, it's just not connecting to them. It's just like, it's just there and it just like gets there and it just stays flat with them. It's, it's not deep. It's not going. It's, it's not a life drive. They get more excited about the Pacers game and the Colts game than they do about the fact of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. I've just come to the point, listen, I am going to make sure that I am the kind of person that, listen, I don't want excited about the game to show more than my excitement about Jesus Christ. And here in it, David is coming all the way back to the point of it where he's going, here's the fact, I have a big view of sin, therefore I have a big need for the cross and the resurrection. When you view yourself rightly, when you view yourself biblically, the cross and the resurrection mean something massively. And Dave's opening statement shows hope. The adulterer, the deceiver, the murderer, happy, happy. How could that be? Well, that's a great start. Now, to go back about a year, verses 3 and 4. David moves from writing about a year after his sin to the time of his sin. Things are going to get dark here. We're now entering the deep, dark crevices of the adulterous, deceiver, murderer's heart. Verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent... 
my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Agonized. Agonized. David writes about his past and he states one main central problem. Here it is. I kept silent. I kept silent to who and I kept silent about what? I kept silent to God and I kept silent to God about my sin. That's what he's referring to. Silence with God, silence about his sin. David refused to see his own sin. David refused to confront his own sin. I mean, think about it. How foolish is that? How foolish is that? It's kind of like, well, maybe God's just like really busy. Maybe God didn't see it or maybe it's been long enough now. God kind of forgot because God's a really busy guy with all these trillions of people and all this kind of stuff going on. And God's just a busy guy. Or maybe it's God is love and he won't hold anything against me. Well, then why the cross? A proud heart is a silent heart when it comes to repentance. One's length of silence with God is a measuring stick of one's depth of pride. Let me say that again. One's length of silence with God shows one's depth of pride before God. David was silent. David was silent. David hid his sin. Adam and Eve hid their sin. Jonah hid his sin. Judas hid his sin. I've hid my sin. And you've hid your sin at times. Look at the result of a proud, silent heart. My bones wasted away, groaning all day. Night and day, God's hand heavy upon me. My strength sapped. Here's the fact. Sin is pain. No, sin is fun. Really? Is it? Always? For a moment. But here's the fact. Sin is pain. It is just pain. In fact, the word for groaning in verse 3, the Hebrew word there, they use that to describe a lion that roars. Here's the picture, David, adulterer, deceiver, murderer, if you will, laying on his bed. There he is. He's thinking about everything going on. He's like, I'm wasting away. He's just like, he's not eating. He's just hurting. And there he is and like roaring like a lion. It's like, that's what David's writing here. Uh, Sin is pain, isn't it? It's just painful. And David is just straight up here. Sin hurts. And unrepentant sin agonizes. Agonizes. When you see sin rightly, and when you see God rightly, 
you see yourself rightly. And that means you see a great sinner in need of a great Savior. In our day, we've become really, really good at silencing sin. In fact, it's not even sin anymore. Oops. Well, no one's perfect. I just got a low self-esteem. It's just a bad habit. Question. Is that what Jesus died for? An oopsie? Is that what Jesus died for? Have you seen the Passion of the Christ movie? He went through that for oopsies? He went through that for mistakes? He went through that for something little? That is about radical forgiveness for radical size sin. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. This is David speaking. New International Version has it really and rightly so. Then I acknowledged my sin. In other words, after the groaning, after the... Ah! David then, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. And then I did not cover up my iniquity. And then I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Two things David did. One, David acknowledged. David acknowledged his sin. Notice, no more covering up of it. No more, I can't see you. I can't hear you. You know, like the little kid where it's like, he's like, cover, she covers up her eyes. And so it's like, I can't see you. You can't see me. And you're like, there. <laughs> that's so cute. They just don't get it, do they? <laughs> and we're that way with our own sin. No more of that. No more power of positive thinking. No more of this, well, I'm better than most. I'm better than Hitler. No more denying it. No more excusing it. No more trying to shake it off like a little baby trying to shake off a little roll of scotch tape off their hand. They just can't get it off. But he uncovered it. It's like David said, yup, there it is. Look at that. That's it. You acknowledge something. But understand this. You can acknowledge something but not confess it. You can acknowledge something but not repent of it. Yup, I'm a sinner. Yup, there it is. Hmm. I can acknowledge and not repent. But David acknowledged, and secondly, the thing was, is David confessed his transgressions. He spoke it. In other words, I acknowledge that I have sinned, and he spoke it to the Lord, because he's responsible to the Lord for it. David's silence broke because his pride eventually broke. After months and months of agonizing, covering, and denial. I acknowledge my sin to the Lord. I confessed it. Oh, remember the three words from verses 1 and 2? What are they? You tell me. Here's the cool thing. In verse 5, David uses all three of them. 
In fact, here's what he says. I acknowledged my hata. He says, I acknowledge the entirety of my sin. Then it says, I did not cover up my awan. I did not cover up my ethically crooked conscience. And then third, he said, I will confess my pesha. I confess my open, brazen, covenant rebellion by an inferior to a superior. Isn't that cool? I love that. And here he writes it. Oh, gee, that's just kind of quinky thing. No, it's not. David here is helping us to see the radical reality of sin and the radical covering of forgiveness. He doesn't give a contrite, wrote confession statement. It's not some liturgical statement or poem. It's not just repeating a Puritan prayer. He didn't Google great great prayers of forgiveness and then read it. This was a broken, repentant man that verbalized his sinful condition before his God. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 12 describes biblical repentance. It uses words of describing real repentance as what earnestness, what eagerness to make it right, what alarm with the weight of sin. That sounds like David. What longing to make right, what passion to live out repentance. It's not the tears of I got caught, but a broken soul in need of forgiveness in need of a savior. And look, the, revo- the result, end of verse five, and you what? Uh, one more time. And you what? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Oh, the word he uses for iniquity is hata. You forgave the entirety of my sin. You forgave the totality of my sin. How cool is that? Big view of sin. Doug, it's Easter. Why are you talking about sin? Because if you don't have a big understanding of the reality of the grandness of sin, you are not going to understand the big, mighty, grand reality of the beauty and the awesomeness and the conquering of the cross and the resurrection. It's awesome. Because my sin is awesome. In a bad way. That's why this is such a big day. That's why I'm great with rocking it out on Easter. Because God rocked it out. Delivered. My radical sin has been replaced with radical forgiveness. My Pesha, forgiven. My Hata, covered. My Ahwan, no more. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in him whose spirit is no deceit. Happy, happy, happy. 
happy. Let's get happy. Hey, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've acknowledged and confessed your sin and placed your faith in Him and what He's done for you, He did for me what I could not do for myself. Acknowledged and confessed and received Him as Savior. Listen, Pesha, Hata, Awan, gone. New creation for a new purpose. How can this be? Even for David, a thousand years earlier, Acts chapter 2, let me read this, post-resurrection at Pentecost, here's what Peter declares. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day, but he was a prophet And knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Listen to this sentence by Peter about David. Seeing what was ahead, he, David, spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. (laughs) Psalm 32 is founded in the resurrection. That's why David could write what he wrote. What about you? What about you? That's a thousand years before the cross and the resurrection. Now let's go 2,000 years after the cross and the resurrection. Because this isn't just about radical forgiveness in King David's day. It's just not about radical forgiveness in New Testament times. This is about radical forgiveness today. Today. 